grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good Tuesday evening to everybody. How's everybody doing? Give you a couple minutes to get in. I know everybody's coming home from work. These people in California and you guys on the East Coast, you're, I hope you have your snacks and you're munching away while we do the show. That's the whole point of the five-minute thing, right? Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. And we've got a great show tonight. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. You can find us at uh, CaliforniaHaunts.org. But if you want to just follow the radio show, that's cool, too. That's another CaliforniaHaunts.com. I'm sorry, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. Too many California haunts. I do this all the time, don't I? I think I'm getting senile. But anyway, uh, California Haunts Paranormal Team uh, is 35 strong up and down the state of California. We cover every county in California, and we do it nonprofit. We're here to help you guys with, with whatever paranormal stuff you think you might have. We even do UFO investigations. Yeah, we do that stuff. We even consider doing Sasquatch investigations at one point. Might get back into that post-COVID, right? But anyway, we want to welcome you to the show. we got a great show for you tonight. Oh, my gosh, great show. Anybody that's into UAPs, UFOs, alien abduction, this is going to be a good one. John Sumple uh, is involved with, with J3. I can, he can tell you more than I can, but my guest is John Sumple of, of J3 Films, and they've done three documentaries about alien abductions and UFOs and stuff. And we're going to talk about all those documentaries, and especially his latest documentary. So, like I said, grab your popcorn and snacks and sit back, sit by the, well, well California, there's no fire because it's nice and warm. But if you're back east and it's raining or snowing or thundering, uh, thunderclapping or whatever, just cuddle up by the fire and lower those lights and listen to the show. So here we go. Oh, and by the way, if you're watching from YouTube, Please subscribe if you haven't subscribed already. There's a little ghost at the bottom right-hand corner, and he's got a magnifying glass. And he's also got a Sherlock Holmes hat on. That's our California Haunts radio mascot. So be sure to press that little guy, and it'll subscribe you to all our videos. We have 230 videos over there from this show. From just, just this show, yeah, just this show. Anyway, without further ado, let me bring John on. Hello, sir. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me on. I'm looking forward to chatting with you tonight. And uh, if I had popcorn, I'd be popping it and sitting back and ready to go myself. That's good. Okay, wrong button. Fantastic, fantastic. I'm so excited to have you on, sir. Oh, thank I, I know we've been talking for a couple, three months now trying to get this set up with a date that works. And here we are. Yeah, I'm just excited. So tell us about you and, and J3 Films. Oh, uh, it's a, it's a, an interesting story that uh, if you had asked me 10, 15 years ago if I'd be doing this, I would have said no. Uh, 
Uh, I, but I, uh, my connection to all this actually starts back in the paranormal space, back in the mid-90s. Jack Roth, one of my partners at J3 Films, was big into paranormal investigations as a result of experiences that he had in Louisiana at the Myrtles Plantation back in, I think it was like 95, 96-ish time frame. So we wound up doing some investigations there ourselves and uh, decided we would document some uh, footage and put together a concept for a TV show, and it was called Hauntings. And uh, we were before our time. We pitched it around to a couple of different production companies in the Orlando area, uh, had some connections with international distribution and several meetings, but it never uh, kind of came to fruition. But several years later, Most Haunted hits the airwaves out of uh, the UK, of and it, it, it was almost the exact same blueprint that that we had delivered, you know, several years earlier. So we uh, we were a little bit ahead of our time. We like to say that, uh, but uh, once we finished with that project and working on that in the in the late '90s, I really wasn't involved in anything to do with paranormal, save for a few investigations with Jack. And Jack was leading tours and doing investigations uh, at battlefields and and also throughout uh, the southeast uh, and and hauntings in uh, deep south type of stuff. Mm -hmm. So he, he was actively involved in it. And uh, fast forward to 2008, he reaches out to me and said that he was interested in doing a documentary road trip about uh, UFO spots uh, throughout the Southwest. And he asked me if I would be interested in, in doing the camera work. And I said, sure, I'd love to do that. It'd be a lot of fun. Uh, long story short there, we turned it into a documentary specifically about one subject, Stan Romanek, after Jack had uh, gone to a conference with Stephen Greer and met up with Alejandro Rojas and Chuck Zukowski and uh, wound up finding out about Stan's story. And up until that, that moment, he had never heard of him, neither have I. And uh, as we researched a little bit more into, before we even reached out to Stan, we, we, our take was, well, if, if even a, a portion of this is true, this is a phenomenal story. Mm -hmm. Long story short, there we, we got uh, to know Stan over the course of a couple of years, there was a feeling out process. Uh, we wound up making the film with him. Uh, as everybody who knows Stan Romanek, he had some legal issues. Uh, and it wound up basically kind of screwing us over because we couldn't distribute the film uh, through the channels that we had hoped to. Right. Uh, and, and we found this all out, uh, what was going on with him uh, after the film was done, after it had been to a festival, after it won a laurel. So we were really excited about where it was going to go from there. And then the, the wheels came off. So we did a self-distribution thing and uh, had limited success with it. But fast forward to 2017, we get a phone call out of the blue from The Orchard, a distributor in California, and they said, uh, we see that this film hasn't been picked up anywhere. We would be interested in repping it. And, and of course, we were going to say absolutely yes. And it did very well. They, they uh, got it picked up uh, immediately on Netflix and had a two-year run on Netflix, and they asked us, what else you got? So we wound up doing, uh, a pr proposing to do a three-part series, which wound up being Extraordinary Stan Romick's Story, Extraordinary The Seeding, and Extraordinary The Revelations, which is the third film that came out last fall. As a cameraman, because I remember when I started out with, Cal with California Haunts Paranormal Team, we weren't really a team, we were a TV show on public access. So mm -hmm. I was behind the camera on that stuff. And I came, you know, I went in a skeptic filming stuff, you know, with, with another paranormal team. What was it like for you, you know, looking at this stuff? Were you a believer in this stuff before you started filming it or no? 
Well, I when when this first came my way, I was Jack is the uh, has been the fan of ufology and paranormal for a very long time. He right. used to read Alien Digest or UFO Digest magazine when he was a kid. That was not something that I was ever involved with. Although I was fortunate enough, I grew up in Connecticut in Fairfield County and had three different occasions where I did see UFOs, lights in the sky uh, and and moving it in speeds and angles that are impossible. And multiple people had witnessed them as well. It wasn't just me. It was reported. One of them was reported over uh, 2000 phone calls to the local police. Uh, so uh, I had seen them. I was aware of them. I had had an experience where I saw one land in the woods behind my house. I mm -hmm. was there with a friend and it was very, uh, it's very obvious that there was some sort of a disc-shaped object with lights, uh, and it it it, it seemed like it was only a, like a half a mile away from us, so it wasn't that far away. We could see the details of the lights and, and the patterns of the lights, and 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 from that, and my dad was also involved in uh, uh, building stuff for the space program uh, through the engineering company that he was with. So there were astronomy uh, was a big deal in our house, and the whole uh, the Apollo program was a big deal. So there was this fascination with space and the vastness of space and that whole idea that the chances of us being alone are pretty slim. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my mental mindset makeup at that time. But when uh, Jack asked me to be involved with the initial project with him, I was like, well, I guess I need to brush up a little bit. And I wound up going on Project Camelot and doing a deep dive on some of the old videos that were there. And it blew my mind. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I, I had no clue that most of this stuff was uh, was even happening. Mm -hmm. So when I went into the the, the film with uh, the first film that we did, my my desire was to not be the center. I did not want to be somebody who was with the in crowd. I wanted to navigate around oh, the outside. I'm pushing everything wrong today. There we go. <laughs> uh, I wanted to make sure that I, I navigated from the outside looking in, which is what anybody who would be watching these films would be doing. Right, they're, right. They're, they're, they, if they don't know enough about it, if they're not dyed in the wool hardcore fans, they have to look at it from the perspective of what's this all about. So that's the approach that I took with that film. And I, I continue to do that with all of our films. So I don't do a lot of research going in uh, as far as the context. I have the basic understandings, but I don't go into the details because I want to have that sense of curiosity and wonder. Mm -hmm. When I'm doing the interviews uh, and then that that I become educated and that I feel uh, is translated into how we uh, make the films. And our, our target audience is not the dyed in the wool believers. It's the people who might have a curiosity, don't you know, need to know more, need to be educated. So uh, we specifically made a decision that we were not going to for lack of a better word, pander to people who were already believers. We wanted to expand our reach to people who might be curious, might be sitting on the fence, maybe even a little bit skeptical. And if you present information in a way that that educates them and creates awareness and encourages them to go on their own journey of research, then that's that's our job. That's what we feel like uh, our purpose is, is to help uh, create awareness. Okay. What struck you, you know, when you started working with Stan, what, what struck you about him that, that made you think he was telling the truth? 
Well, I, I think what what was the most compelling thing at that time, so this is in 2009 when we really started engaging in conversation. It took us two and a half years to even get to the point where we were making the film. So there was a lot of education. There was a lot of phone calls, the, the, not just with him, but people who have been witness to the things that had happened with him. So we spent a lot of time with Chuck Zukowski and, and Alejandro Rojas and uh, several other people that were that were involved as eyewitnesses in his case. So we we felt pretty confident that because there were other people involved in witnessing some of the things that this was the, this was a story worth pursuing. And, and Chuck Zukowski even told us, he said, even if 25 percent of what has happened to Stan is true, that's profound. Uh, he said, even if, and, and I really felt, you know, as we got to know Stan, that uh, uh, at that moment, he was confused by what was happening to him. You know, a lot of people say he's a hoaxer and he's trying to pull the wool. If, if he's doing that, he is the most impressive actor of all time. Mm -hmm. uh, we spent a lot of time with him in the moments where uh, there were tears and uh, confusion and uh, trauma. Uh, for lack of a better word there, uh, it, it just, when you spend a lot of time with somebody and, and we spent several days with him uh, when we were filming, in addition to three other visits uh, to spend some time with him and his family, you get to know them in the quiet moments. You get to know them when uh, the, the lights aren't on and they're not at conferences or they're not talking to groups and in, 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 in local events like that. And you get to see the, the, the vulnerabilities. So that was enough for us to feel that, that, that it was a, a story worth telling. And the story that we told was from 2000 to 2010. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and that's pretty much when things stopped happening to him was in, in 2010. But we, uh, we positioned the, the, what we thought was the most compelling information. We wanted to show people that there was an, a, a preponderance of evidence that he had documented over the course of that 10 years. And really what we wanted to do was to put it out there and say, you, okay, here's all the things that were happening. Here's mm -hmm. his side of the story. Here is what uh, the people who were around him and involved with some of the things that were happening, this is what they witnessed and experienced. Now it's up to you to draw your own conclusions. Now, to say that after everything that had happened with him with the legal issues, uh, that was not something we were happy about. It, it right. painted a very negative picture of him. And uh, we had a decision to make. Do we move forward with trying to put the film out or do we scrap it? And if anybody's made a film before, you know that there's money borrowed to put it uh, down uh, on, on a finished format that can be distributed. And we owed a lot of money. So we had no, really no choice but to uh, self-distribute and try to recoup as much of that as we possibly could. And we were very fortunate that four years later, uh, we got a phone call out of the blue from the orchard and they were interested in, in distributing the film. That's awesome. Can you, you, I know you want people to see the film, but can you kind of summarize, you know, for people that don't know about him, you know, what was going on with him or what had happened to him? Yeah, he started having experiences where at first it was seeing the lights in the sky. He was having uh, he was followed uh, by some lights in the sky that appeared to be tracking him. Uh, he then had experiences where he uh, had first first or third and third close encounters of the third kind where he was engaging and then he was abducted uh, on numerous occasions. And he documented as much as he possibly could, both in photographs and uh, video. Uh, he had set up cameras in his house. He had a ton of high strangeness happening around him. And we witnessed that when, when we were with him at his house. So there, there was a lot of activity around him. 
uh, a lot of, uh, I would say, government or third party, unknown third party involvement in, in tracking him. And uh, to some extent, I, I look at his the evidence of his case and say that there's a portion of it that was probably uh, manipulated uh, to make him look bad. There were other parts of it that were uh, a kind of providing him with information to create a bigger story than maybe what was there. But then there were things that you, that were hard to explain. And, and, and some of the things that were happening, especially the high strangers, wherever he went, didn't matter where he lived. If he moved out of a house because he thought it was something to do with the house, it followed him. So everywhere he went, he was having these type of strange things happening around his house. Now, he, he became well known for the alien in the window. He was on Larry King Live uh, and he was and I guess when I look back at it, uh, when we were starting to investigate, he was used for the purposes of, of uh, you know, spectacular television. Mm -hmm. But he was never given a chance to really tell his side of the story. But, uh, yeah, he's a very polarizing figure. He was 15 years ago, and he's even more so now. Uh, we haven't spoken to him in, in several years, so we're not even sure where he is and, and what's the latest with him. But uh, we... Uh, felt it was a compelling story in that window of time from 2000 to 2010 that if in the way that we shot the film uh, was uh, or edited the film was we wanted to just hit people over the head with the barrage of ev evidence in the first 20 minutes of the film and so that's all it is the first 20 minutes is nothing but his evidence and then the middle part of the film is uh, the emotional side you know what is happening to an individual that's having these experiences because most films focus on the phenomena they'd spend right. very little time and even right. tv shows with the people who've had the experiences mm -hmm. so we wanted to hear humanize it. We wanted people to see what it was like to be uh, an abductee and, and what they were going through and the emotional side of it, both for not only Stan, but, his, you know, people in his family. And uh, we, we, we felt that we accomplished that in the middle part of the film. And then we, uh, third act of the film was uh, experts that were in, involved in his story. And, and they, they validated a lot of the things that he was going through. So, uh, you know, again, up to people to make their own conclusions, draw their own conclusions. Uh, I always say that if somebody feels they, that the, the story is wrong, they're more than welcome to go and make their own version of, of Sand's story. Uh, good luck in trying to secure the rights for that. But uh, that's, that's part of the challenge of filmmaking is that you have the opportunity to tell a story based on what you've uncovered during the course of your research and investigation. And that's the story that you wind up telling. You know, I when you said that he was being tracked when he was walking outside and stuff, I have a friend who walks her dog late at night, and um, she swears up and down that she'll see lights up in the sky that are that are that are, that are following her. Mm -hmm. They don't come down very low, but but she'll swear up and down that you know that 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 they're tracking her. So it, it kind of rang a bell with me when you said that. Yeah, and, that, and we, we've talked with several people over the years who've had similar experiences where they feel like they're being monitored, uh, you know, both by uh, uh, lights in the sky as well as uh, having an implant and, and occasionally having visits to just check in on them. Now, when you, you know, moving on to the next video you shot, um, what was that like shooting that? Well, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to digress. When you started to see the evidence physically there, you know, when, when you were with him as a cameraman, what went through your mind when it was actually happening? Uh, I, I, it was it was 
very strange for us to be involved in in doing in interviews and 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 capturing content that was uh, required us to be on location at his house and uh, even not on location. Uh, the very first thing that happened with us before we even were uh, a contract was agreed upon and a, an agreement was signed was we were uh, this would happen this happened on more than one occasion where we had a I, I would get a phone call. Other people that were involved with the project would get a phone call, and the number that was calling you was your own number. Whoa. And when you and when you answered the phone, uh, it would connect you with like five other people. And during the course of that conversation, a, a, a voice would come on in in a very automaton type of way and start communicating. At first, it seemed like they were uh, one way conversations. But there was a couple of them that when I had one specifically that was, it just called me. And whenever my phone rang with my caller ID saying it was me calling me, I knew that something, some sort of message was going to be there. And uh, one time it was specifically talking with me and engaging with me. And I was asking a couple of questions. It was very short. It was only about a 30, 45 second uh, conversation, or it was mostly one-sided. I was getting information, but, but asked, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? And, it, and the response was to keep doing what you're doing. You will run into obstacles. You, uh, it, you know, you're being monitored, but just know that, you, that nothing is a threat for you at this moment. So based on a lot of things that we read about his case and, and even experience with the people that we talked to was that there seemed that there were black knights, there were white knights, there was government, and then there was this communications from somewhere else. So I don't to this day know who was communicating with us. Some of the messages that we received uh, were warrants mild warnings nothing like we were you know in trouble but the, the biggest message was keep moving forward keep going this will get out it's important for this information to get out it's important for stan to have his story told because too many people don't believe him mm -hmm. unfortunately the way things turned out i think more people don't believe him now than they did then but that's for all for completely different reasons absolutely so, yeah, then this brings me back to Project Camelot, you know, with we got, I, I had Carrie on my show a couple weeks back and was talking to her about that stuff. And I mean, there's some weird stuff going on with the government. No mm -hmm. one knows what's going on with the government. I mean, and, and yeah. I know you guys, one of your documentaries has, you know, stuff in there about that. Can you tell me about yeah. that? Well, I was in the third film. Uh, the way that he looked at the third film was to look at uh, the film number one was about lights in the sky, uh, contact, abductions, uh, a person's journey, a single person's journey. The second film was The Seeding, which was about unexplained pregnancies and women who were carrying uh, uh, babies, uh, fetuses to, to three months, and then they would just disappear. And, and eventually they would have some sort of communication or contact with, with a child aboard a craft or uh, uh, in a location on Earth, but unknown to them. Uh, so th that, that was a lot of the second film. So we're kind of progressing from this whole idea of communication, abduction, uh, hybridization programs. The second film kind of took it further to uh, hybrid children. And then the third film was more focused on, okay, what does it all mean? And how long is this happening? And who is responsible for this? So the third film is the three acts in the third film is history. So basically it goes back 40,000 years saying that there's been 
communication, documentation, cave paintings, things that documented beings that we are not familiar with. Uh, then it kind of fast forwards all the way through to current times uh, where there's plenty of different uh, possibilities of evidence uh, throughout history of documenting things that people saw. So one of the, the components in the, in the film that we discussed was at that time, they had no perception of the cosmos in the way that we do today. So if they saw something as an anomaly in the sky, they didn't go, ooh, that's an alien from another part of the universe. They didn't even know what the universe was. So their, their context was we document what we see. So mm -hmm. cave paintings and drawings and, and, and in the 15th and the middle ages, there was even paintings and Renaissance paintings that would depict things that appeared to be uh, vehicles in the sky. And dating back to ancient Egypt, there's documentation of craft that was created that didn't look like anything during that time frame. So there's a lot of these things that appear and it, it appears as if these cultures all over the world who had no contact with each other were documenting very similar things. So that begs the question is, is where was this coming from? Why were they seeing it? And, and, and what they were documenting was what they saw. They, they had no interpretation of it. They just took it for face value. These things come down, they visit us, they share information with us. And that's the way it is. That's just the way it is. It wasn't until uh, more modern history in the last uh, 100, 150 years, where there was this this concern about, and especially in the in the 30s, 40s, and, and 50s, the concern about this being an op foreign visitors that we don't know who they are. Is it is it is it Russia? Is it China? Is it uh, you know one of our adversaries? Uh, and we need to protect ourselves. So there was this whole mantra around it. Then was somebody has more advanced technology than we do, and we can't let the public know about it. Because that's a threat to our security as, a, as a, com a country in the United States. So a lot of things that were happening in the government at that time were to cover things up. <clears throat> so in the uh, the third act of the, the, the final film, we do spend a lot of time talking about the government's role. So we have three whistleblowers in, uh, that share their stories about things that had happened to them specifically while they were in the military. Uh, that are pretty profound. And then we have a discussion that, uh, revolving around what started happening with the Tic Tac video and also with some of the releases of information from the U.S. Because once the ATIP program was unveiled in the New York Times article in 2017, it changed the conversation from, oh, they don't know, they're saying that they don't know, to now they're saying that they do. What is it that they do know? Mm -hmm. And Nick, Nick Pope talks about it in the film saying that in 2014, there was something that happened in 2014 because there was a press release from the U.S. government or military that specifically mentioned that things changed as of 2014. So that that's like an admission. That's not a mistake. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is an admission. Uh, it wasn't a oops. We didn't mean to say that because it would never go out unless they intended it to say what they said. So it appears that the intention is to focus on the UAPs, rebrand the story from uh, you know, uh, flying saucers and UFOs to UAPs, which is a little bit more scientific, mm -hmm. a little bit more believable. So the, the, I think the intention, this is my personal belief, is that the focus right now from the government is on technology, and they want us to focus on the technology, not the sentient beings behind it. So what does that mean? It means that we're going through this era of soft disclosure, 
focus more on technology that will eventually get us to a point once we're believing all of that, that when they introduce the sentient being part of the conversation, then your, your response to that is, well, that doesn't surprise me. As opposed to, hey, look at there's an alien craft on the White House lawn and there's aliens talking with the president of the United States. That's not going to happen. That will right. never happen. Right. It's going to be something that comes through the private sector before it comes through the military or through the governments. My thought, yeah, my thought along that line also has always been that with all the hybrids that they're producing, which we're not supposed to know about, that they're prepared. It, it, it's a preparation thing for us because the hybrids are already among us. They've already mm-hmm. come up with a hybrid that looks like us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So they're mm-hmm. already among us. So when your neighbor across the street finally comes out and says, hello, I'm, I'm, I'm from Planet Z, you know, right. Planet X or, or Z or whatever it is, we're not going to be that shocked. Right. Well, and that's one of the things we talked about in the in the third film, the revelations is in the middle, the middle act of the film focuses on three belief paradigms. What we wanted to kind of bring home there is that even though you all may believe in the whole idea of lights in the sky, abductions, uh, hybridization programs, sexual experimentation, uh, hybrid children and uh, the beings on planet you could have a completely different perspective on what the end game is. So in, in the, we focus specifically on three different end games. All of them believe that that scenario of lights in the sky, beings, abductions, sexual experimentation, hybridization programs, and hybrids. But the outcome is very different. And we talk about uh, colonization, and that's Dr. Jacobs saying what we, what you were just saying is that they're here, they're they're expanding, they're they're. Uh, taking over and, and for lack of a better way of saying it his words are they're here to take over yeah type of thing and and yeah. uh, there's nothing we can do about it because they can control us and we can't control them so we we're kind of we can only hope it's not like v <laughs> you know right <laughs> we don't right. Know um i was just thinking about you know going back in history of accounts of of, of this stuff and yeah egypt i mean you know chariots of the gods you, you look at the photos that he's got but one of the best accounts of a UFO is in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel, you know, when mm-hmm. he's talking about the wheel of the sky, I mean, he describes right. it. So this has been going on forever, you know, that they've been yeah. coming. And I just wonder about it because, you know, with, with the hybrids, if, if the experimentation, because you can kind of see if they were coming like way back in ancient, ancient, ancient times, you can kind of see the progression where if you were coming to a, a planet and they weren't quite developed, and you were you were doing these hybrids you'd want to keep coming back until you found a group of people you know at some point in time that that you could bond you know merge mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. And maybe this is where they're at they're that you know like i said the hybrids are either with us already or they're close to you know perfecting that mm-hmm. this particular group yeah and and uh, it depends on what group is in, in what they're doing. You know, we've again testimony from different people that we've spoken to over the last 10, 15 years is that there's different races, there's different agendas, there's good ones, there's bad ones. It's no different than the things that happen here on Earth, uh, but it's just something that's that's galactic and not something that is you know Earth centric. I think that's a big part of it is that we have a tendency to think of things from the context of what we know and what we know is limited by what we've learned based on the human experience on Earth. And there's so much more to learn. Uh, We we use a a device, a 
in, in the second film uh, that we carry throughout in, in the different title sequences that talks about the expanding circles. And this is a an essay from, um, I always forget his name, a philosopher uh, uh, back in the, uh, oh boy, drawing a blank, I'm sorry, uh, but the, uh, the philosopher, his whole... Uh, take on this is that every time uh, our, our our thoughts expand and our awareness expands, that means that we have many more questions that need to be answered. So whenever there's a significant breakthrough, that doesn't answer the questions, that just creates more questions. And that means we're expanding our knowledge and our awareness. So 10,000 years ago, everyone thought the earth was flat. 1500 years ago, people thought that the, uh, the earth was the center of the universe, right. but those things changed based on evolution, awareness, science, uh, you know, people experimenting, improving, and then we accept it. it. It takes a while sometimes for it to be accepted, but we eventually accept it as the norm. Well, for us to sit here today and think that that's not going to happen again, and it, that there's not going to be some profound change that we're not aware of is ridiculous because it's been happening throughout uh, humanity since the existence of man on earth. So there will be evolution of thought and ideas and, and technology and consciousness in ways that we've never thought of it before. So it could be interdimensional. It could be, uh, you know, having the idea that, that we, we exist on multiple planes and we, we may learn all about this in this lifetime. Uh -huh. uh, quantum physics will become something that is much more uh, prominent as part of our awareness and our education. The zero point field will be prominently understood in ways that it isn't understood today. So these are all, uh, you know, advancements that will happen over the course of the next 10 to, 10 to 20 years. And it will lead us to that next big breakthrough that will then create a whole bunch more questions. See, I'll be, I'll be at an age where I'm like the old guy in, um, Mars attacks, you know, or a movie <laughs> like that, because, you know, right. I'll be like, well, hot dang, look at that. You know, who knew what right. who knew that was going to be happening? I'll be getting right. the fighter jet to, to you know, but. <laughs> But, well, um, there's, there's, there, it just your perception is, is that, yeah. you know, some people have no space for it and, and that's okay that, that there's no awareness, no desire. And if you have no awareness and no desire, then that's your reality. Right. But the right, people right. Are, that are more curious in Mary Rodwell says in the third film, she said that there are certain people that if a, a, a spaceship landed in their front yard, they'd say it's a fire truck because they have no context and no understanding they can't comprehend it right and and there are and there's nothing wrong with people who who have those beliefs i have no issues with people who are skeptics i have no issues with people who believe in uh you know love and light and and nothing i have no issues with the people who believe in the religious paradigm none of it because that's until we have proof right <laughs> empirical right. evidence that points us in one direction over another we can only suppose based on things that are presented to us. And that's all we're doing as filmmakers is presenting information uh, based on the research that we do. And obviously when, when you're doing a documentary film, you're, you're telling the story that you think is important to tell based right. on a subject matter. A hundred people right. could make a hundred films on the same subject matter and it would be very, very different. It's just coming from the perspective uh, of the, the narration from the filmmakers. Just to walk back a little bit. For me to like jump jump in the fighter jet against aliens, it would have to be if they were aggressive. You know what I mean? I mean, mm -hmm. if, the aliens are, if the aliens are going to treat us 
decently and you know we, we can all live happy 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 the hybrids or whatever on the earth i'm good you know but mm-hmm. if it's going to be one of these situations where like it was in mars attack you know not you know mars attacks or, or even the, the other one with will smith yeah i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna volunteer to right. be the fire jet right you know? right and, and and i i think part of that's there, there's a narrative there dating back to the 50s and 60s and into the 70s that was we need to be fearful and yeah. and i think that was all from cold war control mechanisms that uh, the government knows best we need to trust the government and at that time people were frightened by what could happen uh, if there was another world war Mm-hmm. And the whole thing was avoiding it. So uh, they, people believed whatever the government said. And I think now we're to the point where people have been in the government, specifically surrounding the UFO story, who are telling their own stories based on their personal experiences when they were uh, in the military that are shedding light. Uh, and obviously, whenever those people come out, there's a tremendous effort to discredit them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's upon us to listen to both sides of the story. Right. Not us as filmmakers, but us as human beings, right, right, right. because really this is all a part of the human experience. Paranormal is part of the human experience. UFOs and, and, and uh, angels and demons, whatever you want. To, it's all part of the human experience. And it's really, uh, you know, it's up to people who want to help people educate themselves on sure. the possibilities to help tell those stories through documentary films and research and things of that nature. We want to make films that are engaging and entertaining and educational. So yeah, it's absolutely. very important to make sure that, you know, people will watch something and feel like there's something of value there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can even look at the paranormal, you know, the ghost hunting stuff. The big difference in doing this for 25 years, like I've been doing, is when we started out, it was Uncle Bob. You know, you were running into relatives in people's houses. Now when people have something going on in their house, it's always a demon because of what they're seeing, you know, on TV. Right. In, in mm-hmm. the documentaries and stuff it's documentaries like yours or the one that, you know there's other ones too you know to even close encounters of the third kind right you know that mm-hmm. that don't shed a positive light on the stuff but they're there to educate to help people kind of come to an understanding and say look they're not all bad but this right. is this is what's going on because there's so much out there about negative you know so that's negative about this it's it's a fear thing for people you're right you're right about that yeah, and we've we've even had people criticize the the films that we've made as being something that's about fear, mm-hmm. and 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 I I don't understand that because we're not trying to create fear. We're trying to tell stories about people's experiences. So mm-hmm. if if someone's experience, because we've had some run-ins with a few groups that say most of the people that we've worked with have never had a negative experience, and that's fine. That's great. That's the people that you've worked with. But we've encountered hundreds of people who've had negative experiences. Right. They may have migrated away from it being negative to understanding it. I wouldn't necessarily say they think it's positive, but they've at least been able to put some uh, thoughts around it and, and, and embrace it in a way that this is happening to me for a reason and why is it happening to me? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if I'm meant to be a vehicle to help educate and, 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 further the conversation then then that's important and we tried to accomplish that in the third or the second film the the seating by having people who were not 
normally seen in these shows. So there was a handful of people that, you know, most people have never seen before and, and probably have not seen since in the film telling their stories because they were unique and they weren't, uh, you know, people who are in some remote area missing a tooth and not educated, which is kind of the fabricated story over the years. It's always these backwoods people wearing tin hats that, you know, it just, they, they were always trying to discredit Right. the story discredit the people and discredit the experience right. but now it's getting to the point where people of high intelligence not that that's important but when you have somebody who can can articulate their story mm-hmm. and they come from a uh not from a uh, backwater town uh in in some rural village in the middle of nowhere anywhere in the world it's more people who are being abducted from cities. They're, they're, they're in white collar professions. There's doctors and lawyers and priests and, and things of that nature who are coming out and sharing some of their stories. Some of them in confidence and other people are sharing them publicly. Uh-huh. And, and that was one of the things that, you know, when I said earlier about, you know, if you had asked me 15 years ago, would I be doing this? I would have said, no, there's no way I would do this. Right. But what really started to, to impress upon me that I was doing something of value Mm-hmm. was after the first film came out, we were, we were inundated with over a thousand uh, emails and, and direct messages on social media saying, thank you so much for doing this. I now realize that I'm not crazy. The things that have been happening to me, have, I, the exact same thing happened to me is what I saw on film. I, oh. I got a message just even a, a couple of weeks ago from, or actually two different emails from two different people who said, thank you so much for doing what you're doing. Uh, I sat here and watched, this was the seating. And this one woman said, I watched it, you know, unfold over the course of an hour and 45 minutes. My entire life story was, was she goes to the point where I was shaking. I was in tears that I couldn't believe everything that has happened to me was documented in your film. And, and the great thing about that is that you're having uh, people who reach out to you and saying, thank you for making me feel like I'm not alone, that there's other people in the world that are having experiences just like me. And, and, you know, one of the things that we did on our website is we created a support page that allows people to go to that page to look at the different resources that may be available to help them better understand what might be happening to them. And in the second film, what we wanted to do is encourage compassion uh, for the people who don't understand what's happening to people who've had experiences. Just because you don't understand it, just because you haven't been through it, doesn't mean you can't be compassionate. You can be compassionate with a friend or a relative uh, uh, that has, has gone through something very negative, whether it be a divorce, a loss of a child, or even some sort of a disease, you're there for them. You've never had it yourself, but you're there for them because you care about them. Well, we need to do the same thing for people who've had traumatic experiences that we don't quite understand. We can still be there for them. And one of the things that we want to encourage too, or the people who've had the experiences, find your tribe, connect with people who've had the same experiences that you've had so that you don't feel isolated, so that you don't feel alone, so that you can start to connect to people who, who have had the experiences too, because you'll find a sense of community there and you won't feel as isolated and tra- traumatized by your experiences if you can share it with other people. Absolutely. How hard was it to find people for the second film? It was tough. It was very hard. We, uh, we interviewed uh, phone interviews about, I think it was around 40, 45 people. Wow. And uh, we wound up using, I think, seven or eight that are in the film. And uh, a lot of them had great stories, but for whatever reason, they they 
couple of a couple of the there was a couple of things that we were using is one when you're when you're sharing information you want a presentable story that can be articulated in a way that that people can understand it and connect with it so there are some people who had a very difficult time telling their story therefore that it wouldn't make sense for us to use them because then we would have to fill in the blanks which we didn't right. want to do we wanted right. it to come directly from them so those were kind of disqualified but a majority of the ones that we didn't use we couldn't use them because they ultimately refused to to be a part of the film because of what they thought the impact would be on them from their community, from their family, from their church, from their school, from their you know children's friends and families. A, a big part of it was I'm not ready to put myself and my family and my church, whatever that might be, through this. It, it's this is not about me. It's more about you know, it is about me, but I don't want to have it be a disruption to other people's lives. So I can understand that from one point of view, but the other point of view is that, so you're going to keep this inside. You're going to not let this out. You're, you know, hopefully the people that we had those conversations with continue to find opportunities to uh, connect with people, share those stories. There's one that we talked to that wound up getting a divorce shortly after, within a year of having the, the conversation with her. Uh, there was another one who said, it's time for me to just step forward and own this and started to do that. But the, the primary people that we had in the film that told their stories, they had never told them before to the extent that they did. You know, there was people that knew about it and, uh, but they had never put it out there. And I think in, in some ways they have felt um, relieved that they were able to let this off their shoulders. Uh, they have found a, a tremendous amount of satisfaction that they're helping other people better understand what might be happening to them. But at the end of the day, they still go to bed at night or they still sit in silence in certain situations when they're alone dealing with their experiences. And it's not easy. Mm -hmm. So I, I give people who are willing to go on the record uh, and share their story a tremendous amount of credit for doing that because they're leading the way for other people to share their stories that will ultimately help more and more people better understand what may or may not be happening. Well, I admire you guys for finding people that haven't, you know, um, been on before, you know, been on camera before, because I mean, I hate to say it, but, but, but there is, you know, some select people that make the circuit, you know, mm -hmm. And I remember when I first started doing my show back on Blog Talk, there were people, you know, in particular that were star children, you know, that claimed to be star children that used to make the circuit too, and they ended up on a couple TV mm -hmm. shows. So I, I think it's great you did that. What did you find when you talked to these people, you know, about their experiences, you know, becoming preg impregnated or, or whatever you want to call it? What, what, what was the common thread to all of them? Well, the common thread was that when they were first connecting with what was happening to them, they had no recollection of the past. And, and it was until they started having regressions done that they realized that, that this had been happening to them for quite a long time. In most situations, uh, women who are targeted for these reproduction programs are selected at a very young age and monitored an implant might be put in when they're five years old and they're mon monitored until they're uh, producing eggs. And then once they're producing, then they start to harvest them. So they're, and they don't remember any of that. They don't remember that until uh, usually a profound experience kind of 
strips the veil and they have start, they start to have some recollection of things or they start to say that, Oh gosh, I remember when this happened 15 years ago and I was only seven that, wow, that, that means that I was having something that when I have the context of what I understand today was mm-hmm. most likely some sort of an encounter. So it, it is, I think, shocking when they find out that this has been happening to them for an extended period of time and that they have been targeted as, as being, uh, I, I guess, servants to this, this uh, experiment of uh, reprodu- uh, hybridization and reproduction. Mm-hmm. And and some of them, you know, we've talked with people who've said that I, once I understood what was happening to me and I, I did the regression work, I realized that I selected, I chose this as my, my journey in this life was to be a part of this process uh, until, but there are plenty of people that we've talked to that are frightened and they said that I don't know why this is happening to me and I don't know why I've been targeted. What did I do uh, to, to deserve this type of thing? Why am I being the one that's that's experiencing these traumatic experiences and um you know some of the people that have had those experiences they're they're still trying to figure out why even though it's still happening to them and uh you know you have somebody like uh, geraldine orozco who was in the film when we first spoke with her she was just coming to grips with the fact that something profound happened to her and you fast forward uh, you know five years from when or almost six years from when we had our first conversation with her um she's in a completely different space back then she was just starting to figure out knew she had to do something with this and now she is engaging with people all over the world through uh podcasts and being part of these virtual uh, programs and having her own sessions and helping people and reaching out to people who've had hybrid experiences, uh, hybrid mother experiences. And she's doing a lot of good. And she gave up a, a very lucrative career. She gave up a relationship and she said, I have to, I have to quit my job. I have to break up with my, my partner because I know what my life needs to be. I understand what my, my journey is today. And she changed everything and she's having an impact as a result of that so there there are people out there that make tremendous sacrifices to help other people that again we need to take into consideration that there are people like that in the world who are doing good my next question was um you mentioned earlier that some of these babies are taken away at three months mm-hmm how are they doing that? It's kind of, you know, well, most, most of the, the, the people that we spoke with said that uh, what they would, they would, in, in three of the people that we spoke with, one of them uh, was a lesbian, had never slept with a man, but wound up pregnant. Uh, there was two other people who said that they weren't, they didn't have a partner. Mm-hmm. They weren't having any relationships with anybody that would wow. have created an opportunity for them to get pregnant. So really what it is, is that they're being abducted. Mm-hmm. They're being uh, harvested and then uh, they'll be abducted again. And once the the fetus has evolved to a point where it can be reinserted into the body, it's reinserted into the body and they carry it for usually three months, three to four months um, was, is what we uncovered through the research that we did with both uh-huh. people who are experiencers as well as a lot of uh, regression therapists that have worked with people. They said that's pretty much the time frame is that they'll carry until three to four months and then they'll wake up and the child's gone. There's no signs of 
of uh, uh, losing the baby. There's no blood. There's nothing like that. It's just, it was there. Now it's gone. And there's a tremendous sense of loss and they don't quite understand why until they, uh, there are a couple of people that said that it happened to me numerous times and I had no idea what, I thought there was something wrong with me. And then once they started to connect the dots and they started to have experiences that removed the veil and they realized that that's what it was, was that they weren't losing their, their babies. They were being taken away. I've also heard stories where that has happened. And then many years later, they're abducted again. They, mm-hmm. and they get aboard the craft and they, and then they're introduced to their children. Yeah. That's, that happened with uh, several of the people we spoke to. Melinda Leslie had that experience where she saw the child when it was very young and then she saw it again much later in life. And, and, and there was this realization that that was the same uh, child, you know, an adult now, but was a child that I saw that I didn't get a chance to talk to. And there was this tremendous amount of relief when she had that opportunity to at least say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I, I didn't know how to respond in that moment, you know, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. This is, this is all very interesting, you know, because like I said, I, I've interviewed people that have been abducted and, and had this happen to them. And um, when, can you tell how sincere these people are? Like, you know, when, when you were talking to, when you got them on camera and you're actually talking to them. Can you tell their sincerity by their body language or what? Or how, how you... Yeah, I think I, I, I go back to that. Uh, what I mentioned earlier is that when you spend a lot of time with somebody mm-hmm. uh, and you, you only see a matter of minutes in a film of what somebody is sharing. But most of the people we spent at least one to two, three days, I think was the most where we spent where it was in, entire days where we're, we're, we're with them. So you're you're seeing them not just in the, the sound bites that are delivered, you're seeing them in their everyday life. You're seeing them uh, struggling with the, telling their story. Uh, when you're interviewing them, there are times where the, 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 it's too emotional for them to continue. In okay. uh, we, we weren't trying to be manipulative. Uh, there was one story with uh, uh, Rob that uh, Fullington in the film where we felt that his emotion was very, very important because it was going to drive home the point that this has screwed up his life and that, you know, for anybody who's never been through it, you don't understand it and it's not easy to deal with. And that's one of the, the, the emotional points that we wanted to make in the film is that people who are going through this often struggle. Some people get to a point where they're okay with what has happened with them and they're trying to understand what their journey is supposed to be moving forward uh, in Geraldine's case is to help other people. Uh, some people are like, I don't know why this is happening to me. And, and one person feels that a child that she did conceive and did deliver uh, as an earthbound child is had some assistance and that uh, she never would have been able to deliver this child if it wasn't for the intervention from the beings from above. Now, my next question is, is it the same race of aliens that's, that, that, that's doing the, 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 the impregnations on these people, or is it different races? Yeah, I, I didn't get the impression, based on the research that we did, that it was limited to one specific area. Uh, with Rob Fullington's story, we didn't focus, because as a man, he wasn't having pregnancy scenarios, but he was experiencing consciousness, mm-hmm. uh, and, and basically the shifting of consciousness from a 
live being into an avatar body. And he said, basically, it was like you're sleeping at night and they borrow your soul. <laughs> and they put it in this avatar body that then he says it goes out and does God knows what. But he saw it. He was brought to a location where he witnessed what this you know, all of these avatar bodies that had no functionality until they were delivered this consciousness. Mm -hmm. And he said he could see his consciousness being used in a way that it was being, his body was in one place, his consciousness was, was in another place and it freaked him out. He's like, how can I be over here feeling and looking at my hands when I'm sitting over there completely out and, 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 and having that experience. So is it consciousness? Is it, uh, always going to be a in the form of a, a child, a hybrid child. Is it interdimensional? Those are the things that we don't know. And that's the, the, the concept that I always try to talk about is that we don't know what we don't know. And we can only make our our assumptions based on what has presented to us in, in this lifetime. And we have a tendency on on earth to think linearly. So everything is in a straight line. Everything is, you know, time is in a straight line. Right. Uh, you know, distance is in a straight line. And what if there are ways to bend that line? So uh -huh. if, if you can you say that there's a point A and a point B and they're light years away, but what if you took the two endpoints and put them, bent that line and put them in touch with each other? If you do that, then you can travel those great distances in a matter of seconds. So there's there's physics out there that has been in development for the last hundred years that says these things. And in our lifetime, we may see that there's these tremendous breakthroughs in the laws of physics that present these new beliefs based on a scientific study that has unveiled these new uh, possibilities and paradigms. Well, I'm, you know, I was just thinking too about, about psychic abilities, you know, how, they say that people are born with psychic abilities and then throughout our life, we kind of lo not lose them, but repress them. And yep. some of the alien encounters people have talked about, I don't hear them. I hear them in my head. So like mm -hmm. with the gentleman you're talking about, you know, he's, 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 he thinks he's physically sitting there and he's laying, he's laying over in another section of the room. That might be the case is that they're able to get into his head, you know, get, get him sure. open yeah, up control. Absolutely. And you know, He's out of body experience and all this with this stuff. Yeah. And, and, and we only know what we know. And then if we right. get to a, a point where we start to have our own profound experiences, it behooves us to find other people who've had similar experiences uh, versus uh, being frightened by it and being uh, sure it, it could be frightening. It could be enlightening depending on, on the way that you look at it and, and the experience itself. But to, uh, I would guess that there are many more people on this planet who have had some sort of paranormal or profound contact experience mm -hmm. than we, we believe that we can comprehend at this point. It's just some people don't know how to contextualize it. They don't know how to express it. Uh, they don't understand what it is they just assume that something's happening to them and it's happening to other people and when they find out they have a conversation with somebody and they're like yeah that's never happened to me before and they're like well this has been part of who i am ever since i was a kid and i i think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you just said that the um we have the abilities we're tuned into those abilities at a very young age but then it's taught away it's taught out of us right we're stripped of the abilities to be connected to intuition 
in a way that we were when we were children, you know, how many kids I remember as a kid having an imaginary friend. Did I? I don't know if I did. Was it something that every kid goes through there? When you're a kid, when you're three, four years old, you're not sitting there going, does everybody else have an imaginary friend? Is this a common occurrence? You don't think that way. That's just not the way that you look at things. You look at that as there's something there that I'm engaging with and you don't even think twice about it. That, 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 that goes back to what I said earlier, that in these ancient civilizations, they had no con context of the cosmos. Right. Therefore, they just accepted it for that's what it was. It's no different than being a three or four-year-old saying, oh, I'm seeing things. I'm having visits. I'm, you know, uh, there's this, this child or this being that I speak to. And what you constantly are hearing from parents is like, oh, no, that's make-believe. You're just, you, you, there's no such thing as, as people that just show up and you, so you start to tune it out. You start to dial that, that intuition down and you disconnect mm -hmm. from it. And that's unfortunate that, you know, the way that we are brought up in, in this world is to be linear thinkers uh, and to follow the masses and to listen to leaders and not trust your gut and follow your intuition. And the more that we do that thing, and the more that we connect to that ability, the more uh, opportunity there is for expansion of thought and, and, and beliefs. Right. And I can tell you from experience, you know, um, once I did get involved, feel, even filming the paranormal, like I was doing, and I was around the psychics, I got more psychic. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and, and, and stuff really got wild there for a while, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could see that because we do have that stuff suppressed. And then if the aliens are using it, then, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come right out. Yeah, and there's, there, there are people uh, that have this, I think, a knowing. They have this, this understanding that something is different uh -huh. and they're, they're okay with it, but yet they don't want to fully understand it until they're ready. You know, and I, and I know people who have gone through things that are uh, their awakenings that once they connect to the, the experience in a way that it's like, I understand that this has been happening or I'm now connecting to something in a way that I've never connected to it before and it's providing clarity. That's, that's awesome. It's not about, it doesn't have to always be about fear. It doesn't have to always be about aliens and abductions. It could be just about consciousness and our place in the universe or our place in the cosmos and understanding that, you know, we may be uh, experiencing multiple lives on multiple planes. We may be uh, experiencing uh, uh, past lives and future lives simultaneously based on, again, linear thinking, because that's what we're, we're taught and understand. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's not that. And, and that's what I'm most interested in is that I think of, uh, I'm, I'm usually asked this in the course of some of these conversations as well, what do you believe? And my belief is that we all came from the same space dust. We all came from the same source. So why is there this fear of something that, which we're all, we all came from the same place it's not a fear i think it's it's an understanding it's an embracing who we are as cosmic citizens so it's it's less about uh our place in the world and it's more about our place in the universe and understanding that uh, we're not alone that there are other energies other beings other possibilities of existence that we don't know because we've never been presented with it before absolutely John, 
where can people see your movies? Well, they're available on multiple streaming platforms. The best place to go is to j3films.com. And mm -hmm. uh, we have uh, each one of the films is listed in, in the menu and at the top of the screen. And you can uh, click through to that and it will allow you to see all the different locations where the film is currently available. It's on Amazon. It's on Vimeo. It's on uh, Google. I mean, all the major platforms that it's currently showing on those major platforms. I want to thank you for coming on. It took us a few months to do this. But I'm no, so I appreciate your patience, too. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. No, you it know, was, it was an absolute pleasure. And I would love to get you on at some, you know, at some later date to, you know, if you have another project or just, just to talk sure. more about this stuff. You know? Yeah. I'm, whenever you want me to come on, I'll come back on. Sounds good. Thank you so okay, much. Thank you so much. I really appreciated the time tonight. All right. You have a good one, sir. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, that was terrific. And I, I, I learned a lot. I hope you guys learned a lot, you know, and, uh, and like I said in the beginning, you know, we, we started out filming another paranormal group. So it, 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 we, we kind of had a similar thing, even though he has probably 10 times better equipment than I do. But uh, tomorrow now we're going to, we, we've got a big time guest on. And I've, I'm just so excited to have this gentleman on, Dr. Barry Taft. And Dr. Barry Taft, excuse me, it's hot in here. Dr. Perry Perry. Dr. Barry Tapp has been in the paranormal world forever. In fact, if you remember a movie, and I wanted to show how old I am, if you've ever seen the movie The Entity, Dr. Barry Tapp is the psychic who investigated originally on The Entity, and he was also the man that was on set when they were filming. Okay, so th this is who this guy is. But uh, we talked about him last month when we were doing the Hollywood Ghost Story show. And he has investigated a lot of the more famous Hollywood hotspots as well, but other places. I mean, he's he's been all over, and he's also into UFOs and aliens and stuff now. He's he's kind of expanded into that. So he is going to be on tomorrow with us, six thirty p.m. Pacific. Just to give you a heads up, if you want to just listen to it, that's cool because he didn't want to be on camera, so I'm fine with that. So it's going to be a phone interview. So I'm going to give you guys a heads up on that. Okay, but he is going to be with us tomorrow, and I'm so excited to have him on. He's he's one of the old timers of the paranormal, but uh, he's he's quite the guy, quite the guy. If you if you if you look him up online, you can see the stuff he's investigated and the projects he's worked on for TV. And I mean, he's been on almost every TV show there was. I remember seeing him when I was first starting out on because we all used to watch In Search of that 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 was our paranormal go to back then was In Search of. So I used to see him on In Search of all the time. When I was a kid. So I'm really excited to get Dr. Barry Taff on. In the meantime, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five share it with five people anyway. We're equal. Oh, yes. You know what I forgot? Dang, I got ahead of myself. I'm going to be teaching a psychic development class. And that is going to be April, I think, yeah, April 17th. Saturday, April 17th at 2 p.m. I'm sorry. No, it's the weekend after because of Easter. April, uh, what is that? April 23rd? I mean, look. Someday I'll get my dates together. Let me whip out my phone here. Ah, yes. Saturday, April 23rd, 2 p.m. And I'm going to be teaching an uh, introduction to psychic development, which is a basic psychic development class. And if you, and, and if you head over to Meetup, you'll be able to see uh, what, I, you know, what I'm teaching for that particular class. So if you haven't had any psychic training or, or you have a little bit of psychic training or you think you might be psychic, Come on down and take the class because I teach you basic stuff and I, I teach you how to protect yourself 
and all that good stuff. So there's all kinds of stuff going on. So if you're interested in that, check it out because that's going to happen on the 20, 23rd of April at 2 p.m. Okay. Now, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are totally equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. We want this show to get out there in the world. YouTube shows us no love. So we want more love from YouTube. The only way to do that is to get more people to go on YouTube and subscribe. Okay? And share, share, share. Even on Facebook. Share, share, share. If you're on Twitter and you're watching, share, share, share. Because I think we've got a pretty good show here and we want to get that out. And if you are over on YouTube and you haven't subscribed yet, Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. All right. Because we're trying to build up our numbers for that too. Uh, we are nonprofit. So I want to let you guys know about that too. All right. And well, we act as a nonprofit. So that means everything that happens to this group comes out of my pocket phones, whatever, you know, whatever equipment we have, anything like that. So if you could find it in your heart to help me out a little bit, it's time to pay the bills. Got to get my internet paid and all that stuff. That would be great paypal.me at california haunts or if you don't like paypal venmo and then type in california haunts you can do it from there i'd really appreciate it to help me pay the bills keep the show on the air i mean as you can see we have a lot of good guests and we want to keep that going all right but i want to thank you guys for your support it's been a nice year and a half run i'm going to be shooting some video in the um in the photo video studio this weekend and I'm going to be reviewing and showing you guys how to operate a REM pod. So I'm going to be doing that. So you, know, you guys can be looking for that in the next couple of weeks. I'll have that done. I'm thinking of even shooting a video of how to build a uh, small recording booth. Because there's people that's interested, that are interested in that. Okay. So I'm going to be doing that too. But anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming tonight. And please do visit the radio website at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. That's the way into our YouTube site. Sometimes it's hard, you know, because YouTube, I don't, YouTube addresses are like 800 feet long, right? Or, you know, it's just insane. So you can either type in California Haunts on YouTube, or the easier way is to go to the California Haunts Radio website, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. Go inside there, click on any video. That's ours, of course. That'll take you directly to YouTube. Then you can get to our YouTube site. But of course, all our archives are on the radio site too. All right. Well, I'm going to shut my mouth. So you, you guys can go uh, have dinner or do whatever you're going to do for the rest of the night. And I will see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. And the neighbor's knocking. Ha. Have a good evening.